there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another episode of T4C. I am so psyched you press play. And I'm using the word psyched deliberately, as in psychology, as in the study of human behavior and thinking, because my next guest is someone who overcame such profound anxiety in his own words was suffering from a socially anxious prison inside his own mind. And today is not only a successful entrepreneur, but he's also a successful podcast host interviewing billionaires, New York Times bestselling authors on his top rated show. And did I mention he's 21 years old? But before I introduce you to the remarkable Mark Metry, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's our weekly newsletter that we blast out on Mondays to give you an exclusive overview of the episodes we're going to be dropping each day that week. And it is super easy to do. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time the number 4coffee.org and the sign up box is right there. And if you've got a couple extra minutes, I'd like to invite you to scroll down to check out the rest of the T4C homepage and you'll see that we've organized all the T4C episodes we've released by career. So if you're interested in entrepreneurship, you can click on that box or perhaps it's advertising and marketing or writing and PR or, or even journalism. Whatever your interest there should be a box for you to click with a bunch of professionals in those careers for you to binge on. And if we're missing a career or professionals that you're interested in, then please hit me up on email at Andrea at time, the number four coffee.org and let me know and I will do my best to line up those guests for you. Now, my friends, please grab your mug and take a chug of a delicious caffeinated brew because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my next guest is clearly a prodigy. No doubt about it. Mark Metry is the founder of VU Dream, a digital marketing growth agency focused on virtual reality and mixed reality. He is also the host of a number of podcasts, including Humans 2.0, in which Mark interviews billionaires, New York Times bestselling authors, and world-class human beings like Seth Godin, Ed Milet, all of these people to help his listeners upgrade themselves to the human version 2.0 that is inside all of us. Mark, welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? I am so caffeinated, ready to go. And Andrea, I should definitely hire you to do my intro for my show because that's a phenomenal job. Absolutely love the voice. I would be so honored to read the intro to Human 2.0 or whatever you would like me to read it for. It would truly be my honor, Mark. I want to begin, actually, our caffeinated chat today with the question that you like to ask your guests on Humans 2.0, and that is, Mark Metry, how do you like to spend your time on planet Earth? 
You know, Andrew, the best thing about ever having to start to do this, when I'm on a panel, when I'm doing another podcast interview, a lot of them ask me the same question. And it would kind of sound like I would have an answer for it, but I've really had to think about it. And overall, what I try to do on a daily basis is a lot of things. But overall, from sort of a meta theme Mm -hmm. on how I spend my time here in this existence is I'm constantly trying to learn. I'm constantly trying to understand. I'm constantly trying to prove myself wrong in order to constantly be in the process of upgrading, the constant process of having conversations like this where you're giving birth to newer, different versions of yourself and other previous versions of you have to die. And I've really learned that throughout my time here on this planet for the last 21 years. So I am just always trying to upgrade, learn, understand so that I can upgrade to the better version of myself when I am 22 years old. So that's overall really how I spend my time here on planet Earth. (laughs) That is just such a beautiful way of living your life, Mark. And I have to tell you, you have so much wisdom that is decades beyond your chronological Earth years. Do you feel like an old soul? Yeah, yeah, 100%. When I was growing up as a kid, I was always sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but it kind of felt like I just wasn't living my own life. And I always had the feeling of, oh yeah, like when you get older, it'll be better because then, you know, people will maybe treat you of how you view yourself. But I think that people that say, you know, you have wisdom, you have this, I think it is definitely earned in a variety of different life experiences. So, you know, people look at me and they say, you know, you're this 21 year old kid kid, you've got this successful podcast business, blah, blah, blah. You don't have social anxiety anymore. And to me, it's just kind of like, yeah, I totally understand. Like I'm 21. I do think I am a kid. Like I haven't even started yet. But at the same time, like I had to live the first 18 years of my life in this certain mode. And it almost kind of feels like a different life. And people tell me, you sound like an old soul. I've been hearing that so often that, I mean, I guess it's true. So (laughs) (laughs) you're an old soul with the laugh of a really beautiful. And I say this not because of your age, but because of the way it sounds, which I just want to bottle. It's this incredible youthful laugh, Mm. which is joyful. Yeah. Yeah. I I love that so much. And uh, one of my mentors was telling me that he thinks that, and I totally agree with him, the most successful people that I've talked to, the happiest people are still always trying to get back to their seven-year-old selves in like that childlike state. Because I think when you are in that state, you're actually in the present moment. You're actually experiencing life. And I think a lot of us, when we get older, we sort of start to cling on to different thought and behavior patterns that don't necessarily serve us. And I think that my number one goal is just kind of like, okay, what can I do to be in this sort of joyous, childlike state that you kind of pronounce? And like a lot of the billionaires that I've talked to still have that same thing. And I think it's what keeps us grounded and successful. I think another way of putting it is to try not to become jaded. Mm, mm, 
Yeah, maybe. And ultimately, it's just like, listen, I think you at the end of the day should live your own life based on yourself. And I think when you are that child, you still have this sort of dream inside of you that, you know, if you believe in some sort of like a higher purpose, a destiny, I do. And I think a lot of us start to listen to other people, listen to other people's voices and start to turn away that inside dream that I think is calling for us. So to me, it's just all about doing your own thing. And a child is really, really representative for that. I totally agree. And Mark, I want to talk with you in a few minutes about the incredible business that you've built and your wonderful podcast. But first, I want to maybe flash back a little bit to that seven-year-old that you were not that long ago and talk about how you cultivated the courage to face down your fears and march to your own drummer and not give a excuse me fuck about what your peers <laughs> thought. Could you share with our listeners, Mark, how you conquered your social anxiety and broke out of what you described as the socially anxious prison inside your mind? Yeah. Great question. So just for some context, I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, East Coast of the United States. I was born in 1997. A year before that, my parents immigrated from Egypt to the United States. They didn't know English. My dad came here with a couple hundred dollars in his pocket. So we sort of just grew up very immigrant style. My parents did the best they could. They worked unbelievably hard in order to give me and my sister and my family a better life, more opportunities. And some things that shaped my sort of life circumstance were I had some health issues. When I was six months old, I almost died. And that turned into having a wide array of what I understand now to be autoimmune issues like asthma, not being able to sleep, having a poor immune system, rashes, low energy, fatigue, just like a variety of different things. And the fact that I wasn't aware of all of like the nutritional and the sleep and the exercise stuff now, it was just one of those things where I had a variety of different diseases and I was being medicated for them because I just took my doctor's word. At the same time, I also, by the age of when I was entering second grade, we moved around a lot and we ended up settling kind of for the beginning of elementary and then middle high school in this one place in Western Massachusetts. And it was like this small little town and it was a great town and everything, but unfortunately there was no sort of diversity like whatsoever. Like I was the only person that was not Caucasian white, whatever you want to call it. There was like maybe one other person of a different ethnicity, but that was basically it. And I got bullied for like wearing the same clothes over and over again. I was generally speaking an introverted kid just to start with. Like that's just the kind of person that I am. So I was born in 1997. And in 2001, September 11, there was the 9-11 attacks. And from my understanding, that's basically what began the decline of the Middle Eastern 
race brand in America. And I just happened to be born in that area. So I was bullied a lot. People would call me terrorist. People would say like, oh, you're going to blow up the school, different things like that. And in turn, when I was growing up, like just the beginning, like I was a really creative kid. I was very crafty. I was very resourceful. I was always trying to paint different pictures. I was always trying to collect baseball cards, Pokemon cards, things like that. And through one event or another, I just started to like put myself in this survival kind of stage of, okay, Mark, you know, wake up in the morning, get to school, put your head down, don't talk to anybody, kind of just slide by academically speaking. So I was like a D, C and B student. And then also just like personally speaking as well, I only had just a couple people that I would hang out with. And it's not like they were my best friends. It was just people to just sort of superficially hang out with. And I felt like I wasn't the real me. And I began to understand this when I would hang out with different groups of people. So like whether it was my family or these certain friends or these groups of people, I was not the same sort of person. And I sort of felt like I had a mixed identity. I felt like I didn't have like a real character from second grade on to, you know, graduating high school. What that ended up doing was, like I said, I didn't have much friends and I ended up going on the internet when I was really young. There, maybe in 2002, 910 is when I got on. And there I started learning from online courses. I started to learn how to develop some apps, some websites, different things like that. I played a lot of video games. That was sort of like my fun pastime. Eventually that transformed into me starting a YouTube channel back in like 2010, 2011 that had over 35,000 subscribers just as a way for me to like try to communicate with the world. Now that I look back at it, a lot of these things that I was doing, so like the YouTube channel and also when I was 15, I also ended up starting the world's number one Minecraft server that made me hundreds of thousands of dollars on intentionally. Looking back at all those different things that I did as a teen, it was sort of like my coping mechanism for the kind of reality that I had built for myself. And it wasn't only until I went off to college that I was actually able to become conscious of this stuff. And it was only until like I was able to realize, you know, dude, like all the things that you want inside of you, all the things that you want to strive for, they're not going to happen unless you get up and do it. And I started to become aware of the fact that life is always changing. And believe it or not, the things that actually matter are the things that change inside of yourself. I just want to jump in for a second because you have said so much there and you are such an extraordinary guy. You really are. I mean, what you laid out there said so much about, you mentioned the coping mechanism, the way you saw the internet as what could have just been a passive escape actually became the mechanism that you then deployed to pull yourself out of that socially anxious prison and put you in the driver's seat of your life. Man, I absolutely loved how you worded that. And it's like, listen, I, to be honest with you, I think I got really lucky. I think I was born in a time where this internet thing was emerging. Not a lot of people took it seriously. And I just happened to have used it. And what I'll say to you is looking back at it now, what in 2013, when I started that Minecraft server, it was crazy. It took on a life of its own. We had over 10 million people visit our website. We have tens of thousands of like registered premium paying members, a staff team of like 40 people. It was just absolutely crazy. And a lot of the things that I do now and hear now about content marketing, 
marketing, <laughs> all these different things that we use now to like build our brand on the internet, whether we have a podcast or a store or whatever it is. I was doing that when I was 15. So I think in some parts, it was just like very natural, intuitive thing to me. Like I said before, none of this stuff was conscious. I was never thinking about it. Like I'm going to get on this internet thing. And in fact, I think having a YouTube channel made me even more self-conscious because I told a few people about it. And some of them were like, wait, you record videos of yourself and put them on the internet? Like it was at that time, even though I'm a young guy, people were right. still saying that. Because it was 2010. This was eight years yeah. ago. You were a trailblazer. And frankly, I just want to make a point here, Mark, which is now hopefully our listeners appreciate why I use the word prodigy when I introduced you. Because <laughs> you are a prodigy. The fact that this stuff came so easily to you and you were intuitively doing this. Let's talk first before we get too much into the Minecraft server that you founded in 2013. Let's talk about the YouTube channel that you started in 2010. What the heck was it, Mark, that <laughs> made you think, I'm going to start a channel? Did you see something that planted a seed or what was it? And how did you build the channel? Yeah. So I love this question. I actually don't get into this a lot with some other interviews, so I'm glad we are. So like I said, video games was my favorite pastime. And that's what I did for fun. That's like, that was my life. And I had some friends that I played with and through, <laughs> I'm like taking the success principles that I know now and now I'm like reversing it. Through consistency of me playing video games, I was able to be the best one out of my friend group. I rocked this video game. And the way that I did that was also by consistency. And also what I did was I actually went on YouTube and there were some people that were doing this beforehand. So I would watch the videos about how to get better at the video game that I was playing. And eventually it just became like this very natural cycle of like, hey, I think I'm good at this game. I've been watching these YouTube videos. I'm like sort of starting to understand the market environment. And this is all unconscious, of course. So then I'm like, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and put my videos out there because I want people to learn from me so they can get better at the video game themselves. What was the video game and how did you do the videos of yourself? How did you get the money? I assume you got a little camera or something. How did you do that? Yeah, so I played Call of Duty. It was some other video games, but Call of Duty was the main one. And I remember I bought a recorder called a Dazzle. That's what it's called. I think it was called a Roxio Dazzle. I think I bought it from Best Buy for like 30, 50 bucks. And that enabled me to record the actual video game. And I mean, the technical aspects, that was not hard at all. Like I just sort of Googled it. I figured my way out. But it's like, ultimately, like, it's really funny to look back at it because what I'm doing today with my podcast is I'm trying to teach people I'm trying to learn myself. And that's actually what I was doing with my YouTube channel a while back, but with video games. And in terms of like how I built it up to 35,000 subscribers, you mentioned this a little bit before, but the ethos of giving up on something, the ethos of quitting something, the ethos of, oh, I'm just going to try this out. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Like that's just not built in me at all. Like even from a young age. So 
I think what stops a lot of people is just like them stopping. And for me, I didn't do that. That thought never even entered my mind because it, for me, it's it's always been like a sort of zero to a hundred mentality. Like I'm either going to do something a hundred percent or I'm not going to do it at all. And that YouTube channel was the way that I harnessed all of my creativity, all of my energy when I wanted to talk to people in real life and I couldn't and I would just be on this mic or be on this game. That's the way that I harnessed it. So like that's really how it happened. And the best thing out of that YouTube channel was eventually it led me to discovering a game called Minecraft. And that's where I sort of had like my big quote unquote entrepreneurial success. And it kind of just like opened up the way for the internet. And it actually taught me, hey, this internet is not a fad. This is a thing where I can push buttons and I can connect to other like-minded people like me. And when you have that and you build trust, that's where you start making money. That's where you start influencing other people for whatever ideas that you want to spread apart. So it's just a really interesting experience to look back on. Absolutely. So you founded the Minecraft server at age 15 in 2013. Mm. First of all, for our listeners who may not know what a Minecraft server is, can you lay that out? What was the company and what did it look like when you first started it? So Minecraft is a very popular video game. It's been acquired by Microsoft and it sort of looks like Legos meets like a survival island game. And it's a open sandbox game, which means the multiplayer servers, which is basically a computer where you can join and you can play with your friends. It's basically built in in every kind of mobile application today, the functionality of playing together with friends. So really the way that it happened is, so I started this YouTube channel. Eventually a friend of mine was like, dude, you got to check out this game called Minecraft. And I was like, nah, that game looks like it's for losers, but eventually... I got on it. My friend and I, we had to join some multiplayer servers to play together. Literally, I remember within the first day, looking back at it now, I just realized that all the multiplayer servers sucked. They were all laggy. They weren't that fun. They weren't that innovative. So sort of just like on a naive whim, I was sort of like, hey, I'm going to just start my own Minecraft server, even though it was literally the first day I played the game, because I think I could do it better. So I just Google it. I look up tutorials. I had this phrase and it's like, I just Googled my way through it. So really what I did was I found this website that was based in New York. They sold different servers. I bought a server for them on a monthly basis for $8 a month. And I bought a website for, I believe it was like $20 a month. And some of the more technical aspects of it, I didn't understand how to do. And what I did was I went on a website like upworkfreelance.com and I actually hired somebody from India to do all the technical aspects for me and then also teach me how to do it for the future. So I started this thing off with like maybe 30, 40 bucks. And what ended up happening was, so I started it November 13th of 2013. And within Thanksgiving, I remember the server made like 50 bucks. I think it was like the day before Thanksgiving. I had made a little bit of money on the internet from like YouTube and different things like that. But I was like, hmm, I just made 50 bucks in one day. This is pretty interesting. Thanksgiving day comes around, makes like $200. So now I'm like, wait, what? And I, I'm not even like logically processing this. I'm just waiting to see what happens. 
Long story short, next month rolls around, the server makes $2,000. And now I know I'm like sort of onto something. I, it was never for the money. This was not an entrepreneurial thing. And the matter of fact, I didn't even know what being an entrepreneur was. I didn't know what being a business owner was. I actually learned the word entrepreneur when I was 19, when I was being interviewed by the Huffington Post and they called me that. And I was like, wait, what does that word mean? I'm sorry. So like, it was like this really interesting time. So like, I didn't do it for the money. It was this logical next progression of what can I do today? Other people were joining my servers. I saw what other Minecraft servers were doing. I started emulating them. I started really the main thing that I would say taught me on sort of the day-to-day business side is the power of community. Looking back at it, I literally didn't do anything. I let the community do everything everything and I enabled access and I think a lot of businesses don't enable access for community because I think once you incorporate that community then that's when you get the exponential growth that's the same methodology that I've incorporated in all of my businesses and the podcast that I run today overall it really just taught me you've got to harness the power of community because that's where the real exponential growth will go and you never understand where this thing will take you and at that time when I was telling people about it people would call me a loser. People would say, dude, that doesn't make any sense. What's a server? What's my, like, you know what I mean? It's just like, it's all about having that ethos of not listening to anyone and just going a hundred percent all in on what you're doing. I want to talk with you about the ethos in just a minute, Mark. But first, could you share with Java Junkies how people found you? You just started this Minecraft server with a freelancer that you found on Upwork. And P.S., that's how I found my web developer, who I adore and who I actually interviewed on Time for Coffee because he's also a permaculture farmer and he was... Hmm a star in the parkour world before that. So he's an amazing guy. But how did people find you when you started your server? That's a great question. So like I kind of said before about the community aspect and how I've tied that into business, I've learned that the video game communities and real life communities are actually the same thing. There's a similar substructure to them. There's usually the people at the top and these are the people that own it. These are the people that are administrators. These are people that run the day to day. The people below them are sort of like their task managers. They help them do a little bit more. They help moderate. They help manage manage, whether it's the forums or the actual community. And then below that, there are people that are sort of like volunteers, helpers, people that are just ordinary people, but not necessarily have taken on a bit more responsibility, but they're showing the rest of the community that they're willing to put that extra step forward. And then after that, you have all the normal players. So what I realized is that if you want to get more players, you've got to get more and better helpers. If you want to get more and better helpers, you've got to get more and better moderators. If you want to get more and better moderators, you've got to get more and better administrators. So what ended up happening was the way that people got on the server and first discovered it is there are some Minecraft server listing websites and just like any other thing out there, people can go to it and it'll show them the top Minecraft servers. And so I put it up on there, put it up on a bunch of similar of those websites. That's where people first started to join. And what ended up happening was I started to just being out of the person that I was. And if we go back into the kind of societal framework that I had set for myself, I didn't really have many friends. So online, I was just trying to be myself as much as possible. I was just trying to be friendly to people. I literally remember 
the first person that joined the server and they were a real person that typed back. I remember I was trying to have deep conversations with him. I used the real human side to recruit administrators and then those eventually recruited moderators and then those eventually recruited helpers. By using this sort of inner community structure, I learned that's actually the same way that it works in everything else. So for example, on my podcast, Different administrators, different moderators that I've recruited, those are people that are people that I work with, the people that are on my team. And then it's a bit of a different analogy because it's not exactly a business. And then the helpers are like the guests that I have on, people that have repped for me. And the reason is all of those helpers are the ones that the players, in this case would be the listeners, they're the ones that they're engaging with them on the forefront. So it's if you can get at least a player, you can probably get a helper. And if you can get a helper, you can get a moderator. And you just work your way up. And that's really how you build trust in a community. So that's how I did it. And the other thing I did was on those Minecraft server listing websites, they have a voting option. And basically what it is, is people can go on that real website, click on your server, and then vote for your server. And then in the game, they get a reward. So people do this now with getting you to sign up for their email newsletters, getting you to refer them to their friends. I was doing this in like 2013, getting people to vote. So through all those different structures, I realized that, yeah, you've got to start sort of the dream on your own, but you get the real power when you incorporate others in an exponential manner. So speaking of dreams, Mark, (laughs) you're also the founder of VU Dream, which is a digital marketing growth agency focusing on virtual reality and mixed reality. How did you start this company? Yeah, that's a great question. So just for context, I started this company in 2016. 2015, at the beginning of 2016, was also the year where I sort of started to become aware of my social anxiety and I started to eventually do a lot of things. But before that, I kind of had like my own spiraling of depression in my own way. So growing up, I would classify myself as an anxious person, not really depressed. But 2015, 2016, when I went off to college, that's what ended up happening. And the reason is, is I didn't actually understand who I was. I didn't know myself. And I kind of felt like this voice. I felt this energy within me that was saying like, Mark, you're not living in your truest potential. Mark, you're not doing the things that are aligned with your internal values. Like, Mark, you're not saying the stuff that you're aligned with. So through a combination of that stuff made me really uncomfortable. And as like most people, I didn't first listen to that voice. I didn't listen to my true self. And I tried to stuff it down with a bunch of different things from, you know, substances to food, to thoughts, to people, to environments. And what ended up happening is I just sort of through a couple semesters, a few months, ended up gaining a bunch of weight. I was over 200 pounds, would go to sleep at like 4 a.m., could barely get out of bed didn't really do much with my life, would go on Netflix marathons every day, just like sort of that lifestyle. And what ended up happening was I was hit with some different events that sort of made me look at life twice. And what I ended up doing is actually traveling, going back to my parents' place 
and I actually ended up traveling back to Egypt. I got some perspective and through that I was able to start my own journey at the beginning of 2016, finding out how to fix my body, my health, and then also just like how to start living the life that I wanted to live. Through some different rabbit holes, <laughs> I was able to discover some tools that were really beneficial towards me. And within a span of six months, my anxiety had almost gone away. All of the chronic illnesses that I was being medicated for that I told you about at the beginning of this were almost sort of gone. I started to get a clear mind on my life. And when that happened, I sort of began the process of constructing a compelling future for myself because I realized that's actually the thing that I was missing. I needed a future to work toward in the present moment each and every single day because I learned that if you don't have that, just sort of on default, the ancient monkey mind will default into your past, into the regrets that you have, what you should have said, different aspects like that. And part of building that future for myself was looking at the future of the world, looking at the future of not myself, different technologies, different industries. So I did my research on a bunch of emerging exponential technologies that are going to hit the fan starting from today to like the next 30 years from artificial intelligence to the Internet of Things, blockchain, 5G, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, just a variety of different things that are just changing our world today. And I ended up settling on virtual reality because I just did my research on it and I came to the conclusion that VR is just this ultimate meta tool that is going to help out humanity in so many ways. And a lot of people look at it now and negative aspects of, oh, you know, nobody's going to like life. Everyone's going to be in virtual reality all day inside and this, this and that. And it's just, dude, that's not what's happening. Like if you actually look at what's going on today, Walmart, for example, one of the biggest employers in America has in most of their stores or will soon be in most of their stores, virtual reality training stations because they've actually identified that using virtual reality to train employees is not only faster, it's more efficient, it's more cost efficient. It enables them to actually learn the material on a much more engaging and useful basis. And then at the same time, it's also being used for so many different mental health applications that we don't even have answers towards today. So it's like once I discovered this, I was like, okay, what can I do to help get the word out on virtual reality and mixed reality? And for those of you that don't know, real quick, virtual reality is when you put on these goggles on your face and you are immersed in this 3D virtual environment and everywhere you look, the thing looks with you. And depending on how high of a model that you end up testing out, they have some that don't look realistic at all. And they also have some that are indistinguishable from reality. You can't tell the difference. And you're also wearing this suit that gives you the proper vibrational energy and heat te technology to actually make you feel like you're there. So I I started this company as a way to help get the word out on VR. And then also, going back to what I said, I started this company as a way to begin my own spiritual conquest, sort myself out. This is a time where I had just been systematically trying to defeat my anxiety, just been on this new health stuff, just started meditation, just started sleeping well for the first time, just started reading books, surrounding myself with the right people. And I knew, I'm like, dude, this is the beginning. I've got to go on this full-fledged 
bleed my heart and eyes out campaign to make the life that I actually want to happen a reality. So when I started this company at the end of 2016, when I was 19, it was one for the future technology aspect of, you know, I love technology. I want to be one of the leaders in there in the future because I think it can help a lot of people. And then also in that aspect of I've got to do something bigger than me. I've got to do something that's going to push me past my excuses when I don't want to wake up at five o'clock in the morning or instead of defaulting down to regrets or about what this person said about me, I need something bigger to aim for. So the company that started View Dream was really like a vessel for my own sort of business development, a kind of intuitive strategy that based on my childhood, I knew I always sort of had. And then also that technology side and then also the spiritual, my own life kind of side. Oh my gosh, Mark. (laughs) What a story. And I think in keeping with this extraordinary life that you have already lived in 21 short years, I have to tell you, I could add 30 years to that story and it brings me to where I am today. So again, holy crap, you are just a phenomenal guy. You really are. (laughs) And everything that you talked about in terms of your grappling with your anxiety and how your health was suffering and how you were hurting yourself and then how you healed yourself, I could say, again, I did over 30 years. So wow, I'm just so much in awe of the self-awareness that you have at such a young age. And even before you said what VU Dream was, I'm sorry, VU Dream was and why you created it, I wrote down on a piece of paper, rebirth. Yeah. That that is what (laughs) I was hearing you say. I want, Mark, because truly we could have probably a 15-hour conversation here, and I would still be Mm. just scratching the surface of all that you know and all that you've learned. I want to touch on something that I know is super close to your heart, and that is failure. In particular, the way that we think about failure in our society, especially among students in school who are judged day in, day out based on the grades they get in school. Are you a A student or are you a C student or are you an F student? And what effect that has on someone's self-esteem about their own perceptions about what kind of life they are set up to have Could you share, Mark, what you talked about in an Mm. episode of your newer podcast called Flow, in which you shared the fact that I thought was super interesting about one, I believe it was an astronaut who went to the moon, but in fact failed math class? Yeah. And, you know, I'd, I'd begin by answering that by saying from the moment we're born, the world, whatever you want to call it, society, different institutions that we have that run our operating systems, or maybe just human nature in general, is always trying to condition ourselves to be reliant on the world from the outside. Now, of course, this makes sense, right? Because we've got to be eating and drinking food and water. And we've got to, of course, get that from the outside. But more in the sense of this, you get a good grade on a math test in the third grade and you come back home and you're super excited and you tell your mom about it. And your mom is like, yes, Mark, you did a great job, man. Here's a cookie. So now through a repeated practice of that, 
the kid is being taught if you do this thing, you're not only going to get your mother's love, but you're also going to get the chemical reward of glucose (laughs) of eating that cookie. From that point on, you can begin to understand the way that our outward institutions like school begin to sort of program this in our kids. When I was interviewing Seth Godin, he told me that public school was created in the 1850s for two reasons. One, to teach people to buy more stuff, which is kind of dependent on what I just explained before of always being reliant on the outside so other people can make money from you. And then the second part of that is to teach kids how to be factory workers, to sit in six by five rooms to do what they're told. And the matter of the fact is that kind of environment is no longer valid. And Andrea, what I can tell you is you talked about failure. And I've really understood by not living the life that I actually wanted to live, even though I was doing all these cool things when I was a young kid, like a YouTube channel, Minecraft server. I experienced what real sort of failure is. And that real failure is not actually living your own life. Literally everything else is cool. Worst case scenario, you go to jail. I don't know, you get sued. Your your family leaves you. Like just some horrible thing. And it's just if you are viewing failure as a way to as if failure stops you from living your life, that in and of itself is sort of this failure inception that actually stops you from living the life that you want. And people get so afraid of failure that they go in this constant loop. And this loop is they're afraid of failure, so they don't do anything, which in turn, if you don't do anything and you know you're supposed to be doing it, kind of like me, that creates anxiety. And when you still don't take action, when you have that anxiety, that builds even more failure. So now you're in like this weird loop of all of these different definitions of failure from your own standard of not living your own life versus the people around you, your inner circle, your tribe. And it really just starts to become this far out thing. And I really do believe that the way that I view failure now is just like a stepping stone. Going back to when I was telling you I was playing all those video games. Well, in these video games, there were these things called checkpoints on levels. And once you got to this certain checkpoint, and let's say you died in the video game or you screwed up, it would take you back to that checkpoint. So that's the way that I view failures. It's like they are increasing checkpoints towards the goals that I want to achieve for my life. Mark, I was just going to say another way of thinking about it. Tell me if this resonates with you, is that failure is actually the gateway to greater success. Yeah. Thank you for saying that because that just triggered something in me. So believe it or not, before I actually started my YouTube channel, I actually started another one before that. And then before that one, I actually started another one. And then before that one, I actually started another one. Overall, I've actually had like six or seven YouTube channels. And the reason why I had to keep doing them was because I got hacked a couple of times. And some other times I would enable Google AdSense and the whole YouTube partnership thing when you, to make money. That was like this thing that wasn't even made yet. And it was totally screwed up. I had to keep on resetting my account for that reason. 
But basically, I literally had to restart to redo my YouTube channel like six times. Before I started that successful Minecraft server, I actually started another Minecraft server before that, like a month prior that made zero dollars and had, I think, five people join in total. So looking back at that, I've just been failing my way to success. They open your way. They open the gateway for more things. And ultimately, if you're sort of stuck in the neurotic prison of fearing failure in your mind, that to me is just the definition of that's an excuse for not actually living your life. And I think there's a lot of deeper things at play then. Maybe you're listening to the wrong sorts of people. But yeah. I completely agree. I want to <laughs> say a thousand percent, Mark. We need to change the definition of failure, the way that we view failure. Failure actually means you've pushed yourself outside your comfort zone and you're learning. It is another mm. way of learning and in your lingo, leveling up to that next exciting adventure. And I also want to just clarify something because when I said failure is a gateway to future success, I don't define success and I don't want our listeners to define success by anyone else's definition but their own. It may be financial. It may be a level of freedom that they have to do the kind of extracurricular activities that they enjoy, whatever it is, but to live your life the way you want to live it, not by anyone else's definition. Yeah. And ultimately, I think that is the the ultimate regret. And something that I heard that really pushed me into the action was this quote from Steve Jobs. And he says he thinks that death is the best invention of life. And it's to get you to realize that you actually don't have anything to lose. We're already naked. We're all going to die. It's going to kill you either way. So you might as well do whatever it is you want. And honestly, like I didn't get this growing up as a kid, even though this is what I was dictated by. I've learned a lot of us are solely governed by the opinions of what we think other people think about us. And if you combine that quote from Steve Jobs, you actually begin to think like, wait, so I'm not living my life based on a bunch of electricity firing thoughts from another person's brain, like from their whatever it is, like their neurons through like their myelin sheath, whatever it is. That's actually what's stopping you from living your life. And at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, you're not going to regret the things you did. You're going to regret the things that you didn't do, the people that you didn't meet, the things that you didn't experience. And ultimately, that is sort of my ultimate fear. And it's like that fear of fear. That's the thing that motivates me. So I love that. I love that too, Mark. And I really could just talk with you for hours and hours. <laughs> and I know that we're supposed to be wrapping up very soon. I want to just touch very quickly on the fact that you are in college right now. You've taken mm. a little hiatus, but you've been enrolled at Wentworth Institute of Technology. You're studying computer information systems. Anything you want to add around that? Why maybe you've got that major and clearly you know what you're 
doing with it because you're already doing it as an entrepreneur and as a podcast host? Yeah, I mean, I think that without college, I definitely would not be where I am, not necessarily for the educational aspect, but for the experiential side and kind of shifting my worldview. So I would really say I think some people out there should go to college. I definitely needed to go to college to break out of that shell almost. But I think there are some super talented, extraordinary and disciplined individuals that sort of like were on their rebirth version 2.0 path before going to college. So I just think that people should do whatever it is that they want. I don't think that going back to what we talked about originally about sort of the, the world conditioning us, I don't think that you can prove your self-worth with a degree. I don't know if you can prove your intelligence with a PhD. Like, I don't know. And for me, I think the ultimate thing, I think you've got to put yourself in situations where you're constantly learning, whether that's college, whether that's you starting a podcast, whether that's you becoming an apprentice somewhere or going to, maybe it's not even going to college, whatever it is. But I just think that going back to the first question, how do you spend your time here on planet earth? I think we constantly need to be engaged, constantly need to be learning and upgrading because as my dad taught me from just super young age, and this is like a super common phrase, but if you're not growing, you're dying. And whatever way that you find that, I think is the best way for you. Oh, Mark, you are such (laughs) a wise guy. I have to say, I'm just really gobsmacked. I, there's there's so much that you know already, and I just can't even imagine what the Mark Metry 3.0 is going to look mm. like because you're already light years ahead of the rest of us. I have to thank you so much, Mark, for making time for coffee today with Can me. I say something real quick? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Sorry to interrupt you. I always just like to mention this because I want people to understand you said I'm light years away. And I think I have this belief and it's everyone is exactly where they're supposed to be. For example, most kids that were ages nine to 18 were not living inside of a socially anxious prison. I've done the work in my own sort of way to be able to put me in the position that I am at. And I think it works the same exact way with everyone else. Just because like right now I run a podcast business, whatever people want to call me successful. I just happen to be born in the time where these things are successful. I've got my own crap too that I'm still working on that is every day is still a struggle. And I think everyone else has that too. So I think it's all about seeing exactly where you are and understanding the part that you're in right now is a necessary process in the ultimate, the the fire that's burning in your soul to truly develop. I completely agree. And what I would say is the challenge, and I mean this in a positive way, is to embrace that, whatever you're going through in your life. Mm. And not when I say make peace with it, I don't mean to say accept it and not do anything with it, but use it as a growth opportunity. The same way that we were talking about failure 
and not staying in the safe lane, not staying in the whatever box somebody puts you in, but breaking out of that, having the courage to break out of it, whether it's your health issues, whether mental health, physical health, that is part of your journey. It becomes part of your narrative. It becomes part of your secret sauce that is going to make you exceptional. Beautifully said, Andrew. So I'm high-fiving you. I'm giving you a virtual high five one day i might even have some of those virtual reality headsets on and you will too mark and we'll be able to really kind of do a visual companion to the auditory one that i'm doing right now i'm giving you a virtual high five saying huge thanks tremendous respect to you for everything you've achieved and will achieve both in terms of your internal and external struggles. And I want to direct our listeners to Humans 2.0. Mark, as you've heard, is a really extraordinary person. And Mark, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I'm a huge fan of Humans 2.0. I'm going to remain a fan and I'm just wishing you continued success in your journey. Andrea, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. It's such a privilege to be on the show. And I just want to say for everyone out there listening, thank you so much. And please go on Andrea's podcast, Time for Coffee, where you're listening to this and definitely leave her a review podcasters. Here's the thing, especially good podcast hosts work really hard like Andrea. And it's super easy to have a podcast now. And most people have podcasts just to host a podcast and they don't really put in any kind of work at all. But Andrea is definitely, without a doubt, that exception. She works really hard and I would appreciate the review and it would mean the world. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.